Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experience of immigrants in the United States. We are available on Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you do not miss an episode. Today we have for you Lola Adeyemo. She is the founder and CEO of EQI Mindset. EQI is from Equity and Inclusion. As a certified diversity, equity, and inclusion professional, she leverages her experiences as an immigrant, a career mom, and a scientist, and within different global corporations to inspire and motivate underrepresented individuals. Her goal is to expand the conversations on identity, dimensions, and intersectionality to help underrepresented and unheard voices be the best versions of, of themselves regardless of the systems they operate within, corporate, nonprofit, or schools. Lola is currently working towards her doctorate in strategic leadership program with a dissertation focused on belonging for immigrant women, and her book on immigrant women in corporate America and belonging is set for a fall 22 release. Welcome, Lola. Thank you, Simone. I'm excited to be on here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's our pleasure. So if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about your life uh, in, uh, today and, and what are the new things that are going on with you? Sure. I, I just run in my company, Hikiwai Mindset. I started it two years ago and I am taking my skill set, my expertise back into uh, life science and biotech companies, specifically because that's my background to help employee resource groups and people managers with building inclusion from the bottoms up. And I am doing all that while taking care of my three and school kids. My kids are eight, five, and two. <laughs> wow. Hats off to you, my girl, <laughs> my lady. That's amazing. Thank you. Okay. And you, you're on the West Coast, right? Yes, I'm in San Diego, California. Um, I came into the U.S. there, Texas. I was in Texas uh, briefly and then moved to San Diego in 2011. Okay, wonderful. I am I'm so jealous. I love California. I would move tomorrow, but I keep hearing how expensive it is. So for now, I will listen to my husband and stay in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> If it were up to me, I would be in California, I tell you. Well, I'm glad I wasn't given a choice because my husband was already here. <laughs> I would probably have been worried as well, but um, it's a nice place to live. Okay, wonderful. 
So uh, can you tell us about your heritage, where you're from, what's your arrival story, and what brings you to the United States? Sure. So I was born and raised in uh, Nigeria in a small town called Akure. It's in the southwestern part of Nigeria. And I grew up going to schools that were all around me. So my primary, secondary, and college, um, all in Akure. And I moved out of my town after college for a little bit of work experience, which lasted about two years. Um, during that period, I started applying for graduate school in the UK first. That was my main focus. And I ended up applying to the US because I had friends that were talking to me about US schools. And I got admitted into the University of um, Texas Clear Lake. I arranged for all of my accommodation from Nigeria called um, the housing, graduate school housing, got my apartment, got everything and flew out to United States through Atlanta in 2009. And okay. Go ahead, since. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? because I didn't really have family in the United States. Um, I had a friend who was in San Diego then, but I was going to school in Texas, which is uh, quite a distance. So I ended up being in school full-time until December of 2010 when I graduated and I moved to San Diego where I got my first job. And I've been in San Diego ever since. I had a couple of uh, other corporate organizations that I worked with before I switched to entrepreneurship full-time okay wonderful wonderful okay um so how is things i mean transitioning from university and now your life here transitioning from university so university and work experience very different um first coming in as a as an international graduate student the campus i came to there was a lot of support. There wasn't a lot of Africans at my school, but we had um, we had uh, Indians. We had a lot of Indians in my program. Uh, I was in. Uh, I studied biotech for my masters, so my program we had a lot of Indians. We had a few Asians. So there was a, a university office for international students, and so they provided a lot of support and resources. There were programs. Um, around cultural heritage. So I think coming in uh, through student route first um, helped me a little bit, <laughs> or maybe it didn't. I don't know, but it's a different experience when you come in as an international student through a school that supports you. Um, I had a lot of interesting uh, questions to answer. I had people ask me different um, weird questions about, oh, where are you from? I've I once had somebody ask me, where did you live? And it took me a while to figure out what that question meant. Like, you mean like, do we live inside homes? Um, you know, so those were like gradual ways that I began to realize there were different perceptions of where you came from. Um, but, you know, the school experience, the immersion experience was really good. It was short though. So it was a little bit, of a different feel and vibe coming into corporate America um, 
as a student with that level of support, and then in an environment uh, like California, applying for jobs um, in a STEM field, so in a biotech life science space, where there is not uh, as much diversity, and there's no specific support for you because you're an immigrant. Um, so yeah, I feel like the experience getting into the corporate and getting into school, very different. And yeah, there's a lot of resistance right off the bat from applying to jobs and just applying and applying. There's no guidance and no additional um, enlightenment process <laughs> for an immigrant to figure out you know, what does the recruiter want? What does the hiring manager want? What are the ways you should be uh, presenting yourself to make sure that they can hear you, or they, can, they can understand you, or you have been evaluated fairly? So lots of rejections um, and eventually getting into the workplace. Also, not a lot of people that look like me. So I would, yeah, comparing the two experiences is, I don't think it's the same, um, but it's this sort of gradual awareness that builds for me as, you know, the longer I stay in the system, the more I realize that I'm different, basically, at work. Uh, okay, meaning that, um, okay, physical difference, or you find that you were not showing up as your authentic self. Wow. Can you explain what you mean by saying that you're different at work? Oh, different in the sense that there's not a lot of, I guess there's, I have to focus more on learning how to be. Being my authentic self, being myself was not something that I saw around because I was different physically. Um, there was not a lot of, I'm a black immigrant woman. There's not a lot of black immigrant women in my space, right? So physically I'm different. So if I'm trying to observe and figure out how to behave, I'm looking at people that are different from me. So behaving the way I would naturally have was very difficult. I had to hold myself back a lot initially just to understand what's happening. And, you know, being authentic was not even, <laughs> it wasn't even a question at the beginning, right? Because I'm just trying to figure out what is going on and how am I supposed to behave? I'm not bringing my full self. I'm not showing up uh, as myself. I'm showing up wanting to know how they want me to show up. Mm. And I, I can uh, surmise that um, that's been my experience and that's probably the experience of a lot of immigrants who don't understand this complex culture and just trying to fit in and uh, make their way, right? Right, right. And the workplace, it just has its own language, right? It's um, in my country, like people are, people are blunt to a fault sometimes, <laughs> you know, they tell you how it is. Um, and then the next minute you're all hanging out, you're fine because you said it out and it's, it's done, you know, your mind is clear. Um, and in the corporate workplace, it's almost like people smile and say something different, um, but everything always means something else. 
Right. You mean here in the United States, yeah, right? Yeah, in the United States. Yeah. Right. Everything is subliminal. Yeah. You have to try and figure out what was meant by that word and um, nobody really say what they really mean, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then if you ask the right person, you know, everybody is after their own interests. So, mm. you know, nobody is watching out for you, which is quite different from where I come from, where it's about community, especially growing up in a small town, um, and different parts of Nigeria is very communal. It's like we're a network, we're a community. We look out after ourselves, right? Um, with, the, with the people around you in, in the corporate workplace is different. You're surrounded by people, but everybody is doing their own thing. Right. Very individualistic, right? Yeah. And, uh, and also some differences culturally there between high versus low um, context cultures and how we relate and interpret things and importance of collaborating and community and versus, you know, the individual. Um, Interesting, right? I mean, I can relate to some of what you're saying. So as you mentioned, um, Nigeria being very communal, can you give us a sense for what life is like in your home country, um, and I imagine there are differences across the country because it's a big country. But yeah, have you know, share with us like what are fun things you do? What's the food like? What's the culture, music, different languages that you may speak? Yeah, so Nigeria has so many um, ethnicities, and so I'll call them. So I'm I'm a I'm from a tribe called Yoruba. And so it's one of the three main ones, Yoruba, Igbo, Aousa, but there are so many um, ethnic groups and each one has a different language and the culture has to do with music and uh, dressing and um, food, different foods. So growing up in Nigeria, my dad was the first of nine kids and we lived like 30 minutes from my house, from my, where my dad was born. So large extended family uh, close by and, you know, in my house is always, we, we were not, I would say maybe average, uh, we, I would say maybe we are average, it's not like we are rich, but we are also, you know, we had a home and we had food and my parents had jobs, right? So we'd be like an average family, but it's always um, open the doors are always open. People come in, people come and stay over um, randomly. And if people have uh, a need, people knock on the doors in my home, like at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. You don't need to call ahead. You show up and you get a meal. You show up, you have a need, people listen to you. And my, um, my neighborhood where I grew up to, we knew our neighbors. Like uh, you walking down the street, everybody who knows your family knows you. If you're doing something wrong, somebody can call you out. <laughs> it's almost like the whole village raising the kids. Um, so it's, it's a sense of, I, this is my home, but this is my community. And when it's a major holiday like Christmas or New Year's, we wake up in my house and start cooking for hours. Like we actually start the day before just chopping and cutting and slicing. And then we wake up in the morning, nobody's showered. Everybody goes to the back of the house, make the open fire and we are cooking like a large amount of food. And then we just put them in huge coolers. Like we don't have a scheduled party. We just cook like a amount of food because people will drop by and people will eat. 
And if people don't drop by, if we don't have enough people drop by, we put food in dishes and we take it to the neighbors. Like literally go and knock on the neighbor's door and give them a dish of some nice food. You put mm. food in the basket and neighbors will do the same, right? We end up with, oh, our neighbors brought this, our neighbors brought this. Um, and, and, and that was, you know, that was normal. That was normal um, around uh, my area. And we also, like what, what 21 year old have as a birthday in the house? That's me, <laughs> you know, it's like my, my parents were very free with our friends. Um, so I had uh, five siblings and all our friends are very close to my house, like drop by anytime. Um, so yeah, it was that feeling of, I don't have to worry about anything because, you know, I have my home and I have my family and I know that I'll always have somebody to go to if I need anything. Okay. Okay. Um, did you speak to food, like different type of things that you guys eat? What's like staple for you all? Oh, so in the, I guess for Yoruba, it's a lot of, um, I don't know how to describe it, but first a lot of spice. So spicy foods, um, uh, some of the vegetables that were, uh, local to us, lots of meats. So <laughs> chicken, uh, meat, beef um mostly mostly goat beef uh chicken and lots of fish too and then we had um spices lots of rice <laughs> spiced up in the nigerian way we we have rice with everything um you know made a different way but still rice and and the the um the soups have like um local spices as well so yeah, it's um, different, different foods, different spices uh, that are made uniquely in Nigeria, <laughs> I guess, in our style. You mm-hmm. are bringing it back home right now. <laughs> okay. Do you guys have uh, fufu or um, cassava leaf or things like that? Yeah, well, so people call it fufu. People call everything fufu here, but really... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything is called fufu in, in, in America, but um, fufu is actually its own type of food. But then there's eba, there's inyon, which is pounded yam, there's amala, which is um, made from a different uh, carb. So there are all these food with like balls, but they are called different um, names, different local names. So fufu is actually just one type of food. Okay. Oh, okay. I see. I see yeah. what you mean. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit of, of Nigeria and what life is like. In uh, when you say um, you're part of the Yoruba tribe, mm-hmm. is how do you guys differentiate each other? I mean, because I I just interviewed someone else from Nigeria, and looking aside from the fact that she she wears um, a headscarf and and so forth, and physically looks based on the way she dresses, um, that's a difference. But I wouldn't be able to tell that she's from a different tribe versus you. How do you guys differentiate between each other and know that you're part of this tribe versus that one? Is it language or is it a certain type of physical feature? uh, Not necessarily. I mean, some people may be physical, but physical can be very deceptive uh, because like, um, yeah, there's some predominant characteristics that maybe you would see in a certain side, but I would say it's really the name and the language. Um, because like for me, I'm Yoruba, but I'm a little lighter skin 
than a lot of Yorubas. So when I was young, people would think I'm Igbo because the Igbos were a little bit of my color. There were more people uh, from the Igbo tribe that were lighter skinned. Um, so I would say the, the color and the facial uh, features might give you an int, but most times you ask and then you hear the name because the names have meanings. The names are in our languages. So if I hear your last name, your family name, it tells me what part of the country you're from. Interesting. Wow. I know you came over as a student. I'm not sure if your plan was to remain here or to go back to Nigeria. So how did that develop for you? And what's your, what was your American dream as you started um, your journey here in the United States and, and, and some challenges in, in getting to your American dream? You know, the, the thing about growing up in a town where you are so, you have a base. You know, you have loving family, you have your home is I never really, I wouldn't say I had an American dream. I mean, I wanted, I always wanted to go to school outside of the country for my graduate school. Um, That was the extent of my dream because of the kind of education, um, the quality of education that I wanted. You know, I always wanted to have an advanced degree outside the country. I didn't necessarily dream of living here. So after I came, the natural next step is, of course, I plan to get a job. I didn't plan to go back. But if I needed to go back, I knew I could go back, right? Like I have a home. Um, yes. I had a good job in, in, in Lagos, Nigeria, before I, I quit to come here, right? So I also know there's a corporate scene there that I had access to. So I think it was... It was um, it wasn't a pressing dream or need for me. Like, oh, you know, I, I, want, I always wanted to live in America. No, I never wanted to live in America. I just wanted to get an education. And then once I got my education, I was thinking I'll get a job, um, right? So it never really occurred to me like, well, what if you don't get a job? What if you have to go back? Well, I guess then I would have come back. <laughs> right. Because you could have used that degree there as well, right? Exactly. Yeah, I could have used that degree um, as well. And I had a good experience uh, from the company that I worked for before I left. It was also a global organization back in Nigeria. Okay. So you mentioned that you were studying biotechnology. Is that kind of, um, uh, I want to say, like clinical studies, doing bio-research? Can you break that down a little bit? Yeah, so it's... Um, leveraging um, biotechnological uh, methods to provide to produce advanced medicines so doing conducting research um, in the medical space so biotechnological is actually there there's food biotech there's medical biotech there are different types of biotech so biotechnology is actually like the techniques and then is applied in different um, spaces so I when I got interested in biotech in Nigeria actually I was thinking more of the food because I was thinking of going into that sector where we have advanced way of uh, manufacturing, um, of producing food uh, in large amounts, healthy foods uh, for Africa. That was actually my intent when I found the program. But when I came into the US, the the biotech program was heavily focused on medical biotech. So Mm -hmm. leveraging biotech techniques for producing uh, drugs and medications. 
So that's the field I ended up in. So running research, um, testing samples, and uh, producing medicines and drugs. Okay, very good. So that's what you focused on when you were here, obviously, because the market was more geared towards that, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, could you speak to any opportunities that came along your way to help you um, get to where you are today? Uh, like during, during uh, school or after school? School and otherwise, you know, just your journey as an immigrant American here in the United States. Like what are some opportunities that help to facilitate getting you to your life of today? Yeah, I mean, so many opportunities. First, I think um, I think coming coming in from uh, from Nigeria, coming in from having an education there was I I knew there were some opportunities that maybe we didn't necessarily have. So when I came in, and it was for me, it was like I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity I see. And um, when I was on campus, I joined the uh, student government. I was part of the student government. I was part of the honesty hearing panel. There was a leadership development program. It was a three-day retreat. I think I went for that like three months after I came into the country. <laughs> it was a leadership development program uh, by the National Society of Leadership, uh, Student Leadership and Success. So I, I took advantage of... Um, things that I, I asked questions. I asked, oh, what is this for? And then I'll sign up for it. I mean, I was a full-time student. I didn't really have a lot of friends. So I lived like walking distance from the campus. So for me, it's like, if I'm going to be on campus anyway, you know, leveraging anything that would help me with my speaking, that would help me with my leadership. Um, I signed up for that. I joined the uh, Black Student Association on, on campus as well. And I was very involved with them. And then the International Student Office would have different programs uh, for students. And there was a, an international day. I got to wear Nigerian outfit and showcase some drumming skills <laughs> from wow. Nigeria. Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, it's about, I didn't see a lot of Nigerians. I'll showcase whatever I can. I would make sure, you know, I take advantage of every opportunity. Um, and it, it helped, you know, volunteering on, on students um, as part of the student groups was kind of a segue to my um, employee, employee resource group uh, work in, in corporate, right? Like I, knowing the existence of these organizations and the impacts they can have on your career, I got plugged into student groups early and I had my first Toastmasters meeting when I was on campus. Um, so by the time I got into work, I think I had recognized the power of having a community, even in a space where you don't have a community. So I, I came from a space where the community just existed, right? Like I didn't have to ask for it. I was surrounded by it in Nigeria. Um, but on campus, I discovered that you can also make your own community uh, because I need one. So when I got to work, I did the same thing. Um, started uh, exploring Toastmasters uh, for presentation at work, um, joined a project management institute. When I started getting into projects management work, I literally Googled projects management and I was like, there's got to be an organization that can help me with these. Like, I want to be better at managing projects. And I found PMI and PMP. Uh, so I leveraged that network. And then I um, 
employee resource groups, I, I think we already talked about that a little bit, but employee resource groups kind of help me find my community and, and a belonging space within corporate America as well, which is um, groups that exist within the company, right? So I think I, I, I was, I'm a product of community and I came into the country by myself in a space where I didn't really have community, but I realized that I can create my own community. I can find it and I can still use it to advance my career in the workplace. So, um, yeah, so definitely use that at work. Uh, I joined employer resource groups. I, I led employer resource groups. and um, I started an employer resource group when I recognized the need and the community that was missing and I couldn't find. Right. How about outside of work? Is there, did you get connected with like a Nigerian community or maybe an African community? Was there anything available to you in, in that space? I found it. <laughs> <laughs> I found it. I mean, so in college, the, the Black Student Association, I did have um, my, in my program, I had one girl who was from Nigeria, another girl who was from Cameroon. So three of us, the same program, very, got very close um, in, in my program. And they were super helpful to me. Uh, especially those those first couple of months uh, where I was just getting settled in. And then in in San Diego, when I moved to San Diego in January of 2011, when I moved, which was so interesting because I literally just moved. I was I was going uh, um, at the mall. I heard somebody speaking my language and I'm like, no, that's not possible. <laughs> so I walked back and it was this girl and this guy and they were sitting speaking Yoruba in San Diego, California. And I'm like, I just have to stop and interrupt you guys. And I, I said hi to them in Yoruba. And till today, we're still friends because they ended up being a young couple that also just got married um, and uh, were living in San Diego. So we, you know, we got close and I had two people that died. I had another girl uh, that uh, grew up in Nigeria and we met at my church. And she invited me to Super Bowl game where there were a lot of Nigerians and we are all still connected now. So it's like we found our own Nigerian community in San Diego. And the beauty of it is we're all young families working in corporate America. Um, we all ended up supporting each other as we had our kids, baby shower and all of that. We called it our Nigerian community here in San Diego. Um, and that has been super helpful too. Right. Wonderful. And I hope people listen and, and take some notes about how you were proactive in seeking out community. We understand the type of um, space that we operate in. It's very individualistic and nobody will do anything for you. So you have to be active in finding people to connect with and building rapport and building your own community. So thank you for sharing that. It's, it's funny because um, I actually went to an event yesterday because this lady who have known since 2011 in my Nigerian circle of friends, this is the first time our professional circle actually overlapped. She was invited to an event and she saw the name of the event. It was a small intimate dinner um, around inclusion. And she texted me, oh, do you want to come to this as my plus one? And it was an organization that I've been following for a couple of years. I've been wanting to meet, you know, the owner. 
And I got really excited. I was like, yeah, of course I want to come. And I got to know more about what she does because I don't really, we don't really talk about our professional life in our space. Like when we come together, they come to our house all the time. We, the kids hang out, the kids think they are each other's cousins and, and we just um, cook and we eat, right? So it's interesting when the, the career professionals now begin to overlap that we really needed each other more for that home support that family support that we learn we for the longest time we just separated from our work work stress and work drama and and work um challenges right we provide we're able to find this community to just lean on from that um nigerian uh background perspective right Wonderful. Good to hear. Good to hear. So there, there are ways to build your very own community here. Um, as uh, my last interviewee said, she likes the salad, the idea of the salad bowl. We all come with different colored from different cultures. And, you know, within that, we can find another grape that looks like, an, like you if you're a grape or another piece of lettuce that looks like you if you're a lettuce or speak your own tomato language right yeah Um, and and if you think about it like growing up back home we really are surrounded by our own tribe mostly um so these are nigerian community that i'm talking about now i've met more people from different ethnicities in nigeria and we are all just one family now like even if i meet somebody from africa like it's not it's not limited now to my small yoruba community there's a larger Nigerian network that is just a mesh of the different ethnicities within Nigeria that we have built here and is really rich. And we have people that are part of our community that are not even from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Very good. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, so what are some challenges um, that came along, like big surprises for you and adjustments that you had to make to the culture, um, listening to you speak before you said communal versus individualistic, but what are some other things that you had to adjust or things that just seem so strange um, as you well, move from Nigeria the to the United States? <laughs> the food is strange. The food, the food was strange. Oh my gosh. Um, my first day, oh my gosh, the first day I came, I landed in Houston, Texas on campus, put my things down. I needed food. And I walked into this place that had food and I was like, I need something with some spice. I need something with rice. I'm looking at all of this. You know where I walked into was a Denny's. <laughs> and I think about it now, how much I was just asking them about rice and meat. I'm like, it was a Denny's restaurant. It's a breakfast place. <laughs> so um, they did give me something, but it was so bland. And that was my, that was my experience for a while was, uh, the food just not having flavor and I couldn't find the ingredients that I wanted. So my first year I didn't have a car, so it wasn't like, it was easy for me to move around and go to the African stores, which were quite, uh, some distance from, from my school. Um, so having to adjust to foods, um, and then I learned to, you know, like some, some Mexican meals might be spicy, and maybe some Thai foods, 
can be a little bit uh, spicy or Indian. So I had to figure out a way to get what I was missing from the foods, even though it wasn't actually what I wanted. And, and the same thing in San Diego, right? Not having, uh, getting used to, um, yeah, getting used to the menu and, and just the food. I used to have bring a lot of people uh, bring a lot of stuff for me from Nigeria. And I just realized recently that I don't do that anymore. Like I make do with everything that I see here. So I guess I've adjusted. And also my, um, the language, I think the, a couple of days or weeks after I got to Houston, somebody, I went to the store and I was trying to ask for something and the lady, um, I mean, I think she really had an attitude, but she just said, I don't know what you're saying. And she will continue to ignore me. And she made it seem like I was speaking a different language, right? Like, I guess my accent was too thick for her. <laughs> right. Uh, but there's a way you could do it that would show that you really care or maybe, oh, where are you from? No, she was just like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're saying. And she turned away from me. And so I think that was one of the moments where I realized for the first time, oh, shoot you know, what am I doing here? People can't even understand what I'm saying. Um, because when I was planning the trip, right, I was very methodical about it, like checking off the list, like quitting my job, going home to say goodbye, shopping, uh, making sure my accommodation was secured, making sure I had airports pick up from the school, you know, so all of the check checklist items was easy. And then getting here and realizing first, the food is different. And then the language, you know, we speak English, but English with an accent is, um, accent is different in, in America. I never really thought about that because I felt, you know, I just used to think, right, it's an English speaking country. Um, and, and then Nigeria being British English. So there was really uh, differences in, in language. And then um, I think it's, it's also, yeah. So it's the same thing about the finding community is, understanding because when i would see black people i would just assume they are from africa <laughs> oh wow okay and i would just ask them where are you from right and it was so funny then you meet uh, black <laughs> americans and they're like uh i'm from they south- look at you straight oh, from- yeah like i'm from there i'm like where are you really from right like uh i'm from texas <laughs> so that one was you know was interesting because i wasn't surrounded by a lot of black people so when i would see a black person i would think oh where are you from and they would always like what do you mean where am I from and so uh, learning to understand that right like oh being black doesn't mean they're from Africa you know they are black Americans who are from here who are born and raised here and and for me that that was a distinction uh, for me because I would rather make the mistake and assume you're from here and then if you tell me you're from Africa or you're from Nigeria, that's different. Um, and I know, you know, realizing how offensive it might be for me to assume you're all from Africa when you are from here. Um, yes. so I had to make that shift, that mental shift. Like everybody is from here, even if they are black, unless they tell me otherwise or, or their name tells me. And I start a conversation with that perspective. So, um, but I think that also helps me with other, you know, other tribes in in uh, at work because of course getting into work um there's people from everywhere so learning to come from the perspective of everybody's from here unless they tell you they're not um and then uh i think barriers at work too will be yeah will be network the kind of what do i need how to figure out things what do i need what do i need to do 
What do I need to say? Um, what are the spaces you need to get connected into? It's hard to ask that because at work, you're just focused on deliver your results and get job done. Even things like, you know, asking for a raise or promotion. Those are not even part of the conversation. You just want to do your job and do it well. Um, so getting to where I am now has been a journey in finding mentors, finding the right people to have conversations with and learning things as I, um, as I go along. I, I made it a goal to, to get learning every year. I kind of set like a loose learning goal every year. And around, you know, I should attend at least one conference. I should, uh, I should get a certification or take a course or something every year, even if it's as simple as just taking um, a LinkedIn course, right? Like I, I made it an intentional thing to learn something that I can add to my, you know, resume, apart from my day job, which I really felt like my jobs will go on for years and years, right? But every year I wanted to be able to look back and say, I've learned something new. Um, so that, that, has, yeah, that has really helped me with my career along the way till now. Wonderful. Great, great, great. Well, you know, I can tell you like, you know, you're the you're the go-getter, you know, something something needs to happen. You get up and you figure out a way to, you know, make it happen, right? Um nothing's gonna be handed to us anyway. That's just life in general, right? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I I've never I never used to think of that as me. Um my uncle, one of my uncles actually recently said that to me. Um, like you always knew what you wanted. And I was like, I did. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what I want now, you know, but he, he gave me that feedback and that stuck with me because he said, ever since you were young, you just say you want something and you go for it. And, and I think it's true now that I think about it is, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a good thing sometimes because it's exhausting. Um, especially when you are in the country and a system where there are barriers to getting what you want. And if you are the kind of person that just feels like if you want it, you have to walk towards it. You don't want to acknowledge that there are systemic barriers. You don't want to acknowledge that there are bias barriers, right? You just want to think if I'm not getting what I set out to get, there must be something wrong with me. So you mm. internalize everything and you continue to try and work hard and you continue to beat yourself up and you have mental stress, you know? So personalizing everything and failing to see that sometimes it's the systems because growing up in Nigeria, it's like, if you build a house, you don't expect the government to give you electricity or the government to give you water. You, if you are, you know, comfortable enough to start building a house, you continue to build. And if, once you build it, you install your, your water system, right? Is whatever you can do, you do. You're not sitting, waiting for something to be handed to you, right? So coming here is like, learning to shift that perspective to say there are some opportunities that you don't have to beat yourself over. There are some opportunities that you can leverage that exist. And there are some things that is beyond your control when it comes to barriers. So working smarter in America instead of working harder is, is, um, is a mindset that I've had to learn as an immigrant that is not always working harder. Sometimes you have to learn how to work smarter. Mm, that is so powerful. That's so true because I think most immigrants that I know, you're yours truly, one of them, 
we're just, we're about, you know, doing, putting the work and doing whatever you need to, to get something accomplished. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we don't think about working smarter, right? And so, um, yeah, may we all learn from that that. (laughs) Uh, in the the deeper sense of it, right? That we don't always have to go the mile, that we could do it in half a mile or one fourth mile, whether it's through collaborating or tapping into somebody to mentor you or sponsor you. Or simply reading, right? Um, Reading and, you know, I read everything I come across because I learned the power of information and and, and taking action, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So so what advice would you give to new immigrants, residents who are here, like you were, for example, other international students, people who are coming here, some people come over H1B, and trying to adjust and trying to figure out, my gosh, how do I make sense of this new world? It's so different from where I come. Uh, what, what's your advice for them to make this a more peaceful and an abundant immigrant journey? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things that we already touched about, which is realize that you can't do it by yourself. You know, it's not by how hard you work. You cannot do it by yourself. You need people. And sometimes it's not, the people won't come in the shapes and sizes that you think, right? It's not always... Um, it's not always going to be an African person. It's not always going to be somebody of your tribe or your religion. Most of the time, 99% of the time, you know, it's probably going to be somebody that doesn't look like you um, or speak like you, right? Like, but look around you where you are. That's the first place to start, right? Like, who can you reach out to? Who can support you? My, I had a friend called Anne, <laughs> a white lady in... Um, when I was in grad school and I still remember because she had this nice blue car. I remembered when I had to go get my, um, one of my documents for uh, United States immigration, something, uh, those fingerprints and scanning appointments that were like a million of them. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't have a car and I had mentioned to Anne that, oh, I need to, you know, like I needed a ride if she could take me. And she just said she would drop her car off and I could pick the keys. And I, I said, well, I, you, you're giving me your car? She's like, oh, yeah, usually when I get to school, I just leave my car in the parking lot until I leave school in the evening. So you can take it. And I was so nervous because <laughs> the car was a really nice car. But she was very, very easygoing about it. She even texted me during the day and she said, don't even think of putting gas in the car, you know, just enjoy lunch, take your time and bring my car back whenever you're ready. And it stuck with me that this lady was just genuinely nice. Um, My first TV, she came to my apartment one time and she found out I didn't have a TV. And she's like, oh, you don't have a TV? I have one in my garage. You know, it's like you find people that just want to help. And, And sometimes realizing that you take what you can in this season where you are, as you are growing, as you are adapting, as you are moving to the next step, you know, you will find people that will have been placed in your space to support you, leverage it. And, and, and so I, I had a couple, I had a couple of of people like that along the way that would just, you know, you ask questions. Sometimes you just have to ask. Sometimes you just have to reach out. Not everybody's going to be like that, you know, but when you need something that you don't have, or you have a question on what you don't know, reach out to people around you. Don't try and do it all by yourself. 
you know that's the mistake as an immigrant just realize that you don't know as much because you are in a strange place you are in a new place so reach out to people learn the system as you said you said you read everything some some things information could be very basic and we don't know it's because we're not from here right so know how to navigate by learning and the more you learn uh the more you 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 grow and then you can help somebody else right there are other international students who have been in school that were able to help me too like knowing things like how to get a teaching assistant um uh, how to get a teaching assistant position uh as an international student and how to get your tuition reduced by working right by working on campus so things like that is like you don't have to pay so much you could get a job and the kind of jobs that gets you um in-state tuition you know not every job will get you in states but some jobs will get you that and some of them you have to apply like a semester or two ahead of time right so all of that information requires reaching out of yourself and connecting with people that are in the kind of circle that you want so what's your circle is it people that live in that town, the locals, or people that have been in your program or people that have been in your school, find what the circle is that you need more information in, and, and find people that are willing to help you. Right, um, right. I, go ahead, go ahead. I think the other one for me is, is uh, recognizing that not everybody is placed in your life forever. You know, sometimes mm. we hold on too much to, you know, certain relationships or, um, fill our time with some things that are no more bringing us fruits, right? <laughs> like as you, you know, the longer you stay every day, you meet people every day, you have relationships, like just recognizing um, where you are and what you need for that season so that you can find the right help and support for that season um, is really important. Right, right. And um, as you say that, I am getting the sense or energy of, you know, tapping a lot of times kind of what you're getting into. It comes with tapping into your divine connection, whether you call it God or if you pray or, you know, uh, acknowledging the existence of a greater intelligence than yourself. And prayer a lot of times is what I've used over the years to, for God to send me the right people. And for me to be able to see and, and be able to choose the right relationships. Because on the other hand, too, you know, reaching out can be tough and challenging. And sometimes the yeah. world cannot be as friendly. Let's face it. It can be a rough place here in the United States, United States. And, you know, once you have an accent, a lot of people are not friendly to that. And so, you yeah. know, some people can be afraid and, and um and not know how to reach out or not wanting to do it after they've been bitten once or twice, you know? Yeah. So, so, yeah. So that's the other side of it, right? Like it's not everybody that will be nice. <laughs> it's not everybody yes. that would have good intention. So yeah, I mean, similar to you, um, mine has been my faith as well. I know different people have different ways that they are able to connects to their divine, you know, but for me, my faith um, is one constant thing that has also helped me um, because talking about community, I don't even think I mentioned this. So I was grew, I, I was raised a Christian, right? And um, I had my church back in Nigeria. When I, my third, second or third week in the US, um, I wanted to go to church and I used Google. I found a church walking distance from my uh, apartment and I went there. The people were really nice. Um, 
I, you know, they were very helpful as well. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really feel really connected. And I remember just randomly Googling my church back in Nigeria. And I found out they had a, a, a chapter. What, what is it called? Not a chapter. <laughs> they had a church in Houston. And, but it was very far. It was like 30 minutes drive and I didn't have a car. And so I called the church office. And I said, oh, I'm a new student. I'm new here. Uh, not everybody would do that. <laughs> right. Like I need a ride. And they came and picked me. And they had somebody come pick me. And for the next year, that became like habit. I ended up joining the choir. Um, every Sunday, somebody would come and pick me. Somebody would drop me off. Uh, one of the ladies that I met there, her name is Blessing. She's still friend. We're still friends still today. Um, because through that experience, we just got close. And, and, and for, for my wedding, um, the pastors actually took my husband and I through uh, counseling, like the premarital counseling, um, uh, the, you know, the church had some, um, you know, activities, some events for me when I was moving out of Houston and they also helped support me. So that was also another community that I leaned into as sort of my African community while I was in school. Um, was that church community. That was really, really uh, a big part of my, um, my year um, in Houston, coming from Nigeria. And, and I had some friends that are still with me still today from that experience. But um, again, that's, that's sort of a go-getting attitude that not everybody would do. <laughs> yes. Also, a way to sieve out, like, who do I trust? Who do I not trust? Um, but even if you get burned, like, don't give up you know, you still can do life by yourself, um, chuck it off to a bad experience and, and hope that you will find a good one. You'll find that one or two. You don't need a lot. All you need is one, two, three people who will champion you regardless of um, what's going on. And when you find those kind of people, you know, you would know them. And right. if you don't have them, please stay away from the ones that are dangerous. <laughs> right. No, nobody is an island, right? And um, yeah. But we still have to be so careful because not everybody's for you. And exactly. on the other side, my church as well was my saving grace as I was home, away from home for over 10 years. And, um, you know, one of the ladies in the church was the one who organized my wedding shower and um you know it was held at the church and um and so you know they were the people who filled in where my family couldn't because i was away from home mm -hmm. yeah so whatever your community is just find it yeah is what we're saying and just be cautious and 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 find your community and still and so keep moving forward, even when you come across the ugly faces that could be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, keep moving. Could wear different, different um, outfits, right? So you could find nice people who are from completely different ethnic group. You could find mean people who are from your same ethnic group, right? So yes, <laughs> yes. Yes, it's it's in the you know take every person for themselves and and you know and 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 God will send you you know who is supposed to be for you and who's supposed to help you move to the next level. You just yeah. have to remain hopeful and stay positive, right? Um, right, right? So mindset is so important. 
And I think um, the immigrant experience, when you use the, that phrase, I like the immigrant experience as a phrase because I think it's something that can be applied for everybody because mm-hmm. at some point we are all strangers somewhere, whether at a new company or at a new country, right? Um, immigrants just have, you know, there's a lot of awakening that happens early on if you intentionally or unintentionally leave your country. But that process of being dropped into something where you are unfamiliar is something everybody will go through at some point. Is how do you how do you um, push through? How do you overcome the barriers? How do you find what helps you move on? Um, I think the theme just applies to life generally when you are starting something new. Right, right, right. So as you mentioned the word barrier, I think of your new initiative right? You have a new book that's been coming out here in September. Can you talk a bit about that and, and what you've been doing in that space uh, for the last few months or, or years? Oh, yeah. So I would say last few months, because at the beginning of January, at the beginning of 2001, I didn't know I was going to write a book. <laughs> I was uh, working on my doctorate and I was thinking about uh, the topic I wanted to explore. Uh, my doctorate is a strategic leadership program. So I'm looking at the corporate workplace and I kept coming back to that immigrant experience for me. And, you know, having that immigrant identity um, for myself and a connection with immigrant women in the workplace. And, and so, yeah, so I, I um, wanted to write about immigrant experience in the workplace uh, from women perspective and, because I'm thinking about my story, right? I'm thinking about my story, my experiences. How can I turn this into something that somebody else can use? But at the same time, I was thinking, well, but this is just my story. It's not a memoir. It's not a complete memoir because I'm talking about in the workplace. And anyway, so I started, um, I created the theme and started interviewing other immigrant women. Um, if I started with few people that I knew one uh, lady in my um, grad school who was from India, another lady who is a friend who was from Nigeria. And then I realized, I think there's something here. So I created um, um, sort of a draft, a book plan and started talking to other people. I started calling, uh, doing a call for uh, people to talk. And I was so inspired by the people that just showed up and said, oh my gosh, thank God you're writing about these. I think this is a direction that nobody's talking about. I have a similar experience. And I started interviewing them. And with the interviews, again, I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know how I was going to package these. I just wanted to talk to people. And I said, Uh you're an immigrant woman and you're working in corporate America. I want to have a conversation. And so basically I made the conversation two parts. Like, tell me about your background and your immigrant. How did you come into the, um, how did you grow up? Because my thought was, there's something about the way we were raised. If you grew up outside the U.S., um, there's something that comes from our background, our values that gives us, um, that helps us at work or holds us back. Either way, uh, our background impacts the way we show up at work. Uh, and so that, that was the beginning of my um, uh, exploration was what about your background is either helping you or hindering you in, in the way you do your job. But as I talk to people, I begin to get different themes emerging. And um, one of the things that always surprise people when I ask is, well, how have your background helped you to do better at work? And because people are very comfortable talking about the barriers. 
right? Most people think about, oh, it's, you know, it's not easy being a, an immigrant, right? Like I did this, but then I always, you know, ask that question. Well, what do you think in your background has helped? And it's interesting when I see that shift in people's mind, like, ah, that's interesting. You know, a lady even talked about her career. She's like, I guess that's why I've really survived in a sales career for so long. Uh, because I was brought up to think this way. I was brought up to think around targets and to just go after my targets and to do these. And that's what makes it easy for me to do the job that I do, you know? So helping immigrants to first find that pride in their, in their value, in their identity as immigrants, and then to think about in the workplace instead of thinking just barriers, right? Like I wanted to gather the barriers because I want to be able to talk about solutions that they applied. Uh, but also what from your background has better equipped you to succeed in this job or in, in corporate America. Um, so, yeah, so I have a, a lot of themes that emerged that I'll be sharing in my book. Um, and my goal is that an immigrant woman who is starting out in corporate America or an international student who is coming, who is hoping to get into corporate America and is in college right now can realize that you have a community your identity is as an immigrant, you know, it defines you, it shapes you and you have an advantage or you have barriers that you need to walk through, right? Either way, it starts from acknowledging that I am an immigrant and then what, how can I leverage that to do better at work? Right, right. And um, so how how do people either pre-order your book or find your services? I know you. Uh, we talked about your EQI mindset business. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to that and how people find your services? Yeah. So I have uh, my my I have two websites. One for my company, uh, www.eqimindsets.com, and basically it talks about the services I offer as a consultant, as a workshop facilitator, and as a speaker. I also have my speaking website where you can just send me a message. Um, it's www.lolaspeaker. So just lolaspeaker, one word, dot com. And I, so I do speaking engagements around belonging at work. And belonging spaces, I call them, that's what I call employee resource groups. Employee resource groups at work. I'm an employee resource group expert. I use my story of how employee resource groups have helped me. And then I also um, host a community of employer resource groups across different companies and bringing everybody together who is within a corporate workplace, who is a part of a minority group and, and who is in a community at work. Um, how do we thrive? How do we support each other? How do we build tools and share ideas and programs that can help us while in corporate America? So I work with employer resource groups. Um, I have the diversity, equity and inclusion leaders bring me in uh, to conduct uh, personalized workshops for the ERGs to help them thrive and, and BRGs. So ERG is a passion of mine because for me, it's an avenue, it's a space for employees, especially from underrepresented groups at work to build that community and, and thrive in their day job uh, because not everybody is going to be an entrepreneur. Some people want to stay in corporate, but to stay and thrive, you know, finding that community is still important. And that's, that's the value and the power of employee resource groups. Um, so I'm always happy to chat about employee resource groups and uh, how to start one, how to advance uh, one, or how to figure out, you know, for yourself, like, how do I leverage my employee resource group 
to grow my career uh, within the company. Um, and then I'm glad you asked about my book because the pre-sale, uh, the pre-order actually opens uh, March 31st. So I'm going to begin to share that on my LinkedIn very soon and, and Instagram. Um, but March 31st, uh, the book will be available for pre-order. Okay, and and what's your handle? What's your LinkedIn and Instagram handles for people to find you? Instagram is at uh, Immigrant Incorporate. Instagram at Immigrant Incorporate uh, is for my book. And uh, LinkedIn is Lola Adeyemo uh, PM. And Adeyemo, A-D-E-Y-E-M-O, right? Yes. And Lola, L-O-Y-A. Yes. Okay, very good. Uh, I'm looking forward to this book coming out because um, that's one of the reasons that prompted me to start this podcast, this conversation, sharing our journeys with each other is because I've had some challenges navigating the workspace and coming across some, uh, might I just say, some ugly people in the workspace (laughs) and trying to understand and figure out how to find belonging and to get the support that support to help me to learn what I needed to and to thrive. And sadly, I've had such difficulties finding, finding that. So, you know, I said, you know what, if I can't find it, I'm just going to have to create the space to help other people get the information or get access to information to help people who are, you know, currently struggling like I was a few years ago. Um, Absolutely. Specifically, go, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Specifically what? And specifically, um, you know, the fact that there's so many intersections. I mean, I just started realizing, okay, so I I didn't think about race or my skin color, like literally before I came here until I started realizing, okay, so now I'm this, I fall in this box here in the United States. And what does that mean? Right. I'm a woman gender wise and that and there are barriers for women in the workplace. And plus, I'm an immigrant and there are barriers for people with accents. So, you know, there's so much to unpack there. And so we need each other to talk about how are you doing? What are you what's you do? What are you doing that's, you know, helping you be successful or find your path? Because it can be so difficult for people to unravel or decode, I like to put it, how to decode the culture and to, because nobody's going to tell you or hand anything to you on a silver platter. You have to read and you have to, and I guess that's, you know, there's where it comes from with me always just going after and trying to figure things out. And so hopefully this space is is where people can find information and um, it won't be as difficult as it was for me, right? Trying to figure out, my workspace a few years back, my gosh, it was, it was quite a bit. I just felt like I was in a, um, everything was just blurry and I couldn't quite make sense. And I just didn't feel like I was, um, people may look and say, oh, you were so successful, but I worked hard. And I think, you know, combined with God opening doors and sending people my way, but it was still challenging, you know, it was still, cha- there were times where I felt like I was having an out of body experience as a female, as a woman, as an immigrant, and not knowing how to just feel like I could thrive at work. Right. And right. so and I, I love that you're using the word thrive, because that's also a word that I used um, a lot. I use a lot when I'm describing this book that, because my goal 
for this conversation, this book is not just to um, allow immigrants to understand what's happening. You know, is that next level that once you understand what's happening, how do I thrive? How do I build a career, successful mm-hmm. career in America? And that's the key because a lot of people, because of all of these barriers, all of the things you talk about can get stuck, right? You can get stuck at that point where you are, okay, I'm just grateful I have a job, right? And I'm paying my bills. But there is a lot of eating desires and, and potential where you are just like, what do, I, what do I really want to do? How do I want to grow my career in the corporate space? We deserve to as well, right? You are, you are hired because of your skills and, and you were qualified. You are in there. Now you need to actually find a way to really dive into your belonging, which is different for everybody else and, and thrive and build, grow your career at work. And, and I think that intersectionality is the key part because we hear talk about, you know, being female. We hear talk about being a black woman, but we don't hear a lot about being an immigrant black woman in corporate America. So that's what, you know, the unique aspect of this book is I'm bringing that immigrant perspective into all of these order that I mentioned and understanding that our intersectionality is even deeper <laughs> because of being an immigrant, right? Um, and acknowledging that is the first step to helping, you know, immigrant women is, okay, I'm an immigrant and that's part of my identity, right? In this workplace, in this country. And, and a lot of, I had uh, somebody ask me questions about using the word immigrant on my LinkedIn profile um, because American, American media and culture kind of makes the word look like a dirty word, right? It's like being an immigrant. And I'm like, well, it's not. Immigrant is a word that means you immigrated. <laughs> um, right. Everybody came, and everybody except the Native Americans came from somewhere else. Like, exactly. I really don't get where that, why? That I, I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, it's being able to understand that I accept my identity. I'm not trying to be white. I'm not trying to be a Black American. I cannot be because I have a different country where my origin is, right? And I'm proud of that. Um, so how do I walk through all of that to be my best at work and, and you know, still thrive with family expectations and the expectations from our countries that still comes with the way we were brought up as well? Right. And also, too, I, I think about the word from our previous conversation um, that a lot of times the, the immigrant mentality is to come in and just to you're happy with what you're given, with what you're paid with whatever environment that you're you're operating in and you're just excited because perhaps you're you're now in a better place than you were in in your previous situation in your previous country you're just happy to be here but the fact is that there are there are barriers and there are things that are happening that you might not even be aware of one particular conversation we had where you mentioned where there was a young lady who was being paid lower than the actual Right. Um, Actually, I was thinking about that when you were talking. Yes. Yes. Go ahead and share that because people don't realize. I mean, I, for one, you just you're just you you work hard. And a lot of times you miss a lot of what is going around Mm -hmm. because either you're not having conversations, you're not asking questions. We don't want to rock the boat because we're so grateful. But my gosh, I was so shocked to hear just how unethical that person 
could have been right. to pay this person lower than what the job required, you know? Right. So, so yeah. So this is somebody that had a finished that degree and, and got into the workplace and she's an immigrant, immigrant lady. And of course she was super excited because it was a big company and she got this nice job straight out of college and very grateful to be there. And she worked hard. She ended up having a conversation with her dad that made her realize that what she was making um, annually was actually more than what her dad was making after a couple of decades of working. And so for her, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm really making good money. I'm working at this big company. I'm doing well, right? Which is, you know, it's a great feeling to feel when you get your first job. But then she will work hard, like, you know, give me this project, give me that work. And she had a good relationship with her manager. And then she began to realize like three, four years into the job, everybody else had moved on and she was still there. And she started asking her manager, like, you know, I need a promotion, you know, like, I think, <laughs> I think I need a promotion, right? Um, it wasn't even a comfortable conversation for her to have. It was like, but it just seems like everybody else is moving on and I'm still here. And our manager, you know, kept talking to her about, hey, I take care of you. You know, you have it good on here. Um, and our manager is a white lady. And so eventually she found a black lady at the company and she they kind of developed a mentoring relationship. And she talked to that one about needing a change because she's not seeing promotion. People have moved on and she feels like she needs to be doing something else. So this other lady had an opening on our team and pulled her in, like, I'm going to bring you into this role. And this, when she went to give a notice to her manager and the lady was so upset with her, she was saying, you know, I've taken care of you. You have it good here. Almost like crying. Like, where are you? Why are you leaving? I've taken oh care of you. Oh my goodness. And wow. she said, well, I, you know, I kind of tried to talk to you. You were not really like making any move. I'm sorry, but you know, I have to take this position anyway. So the manager wasn't happy with her, but she left and she went to join this new team. And this um, black lady who hired her into a role called her into her office almost in tears. And she said, I feel so offended right now because your pay is so low. It's lower than the minimum range. For this role that I'm and she was with. in that job for so long and she was in that job for so long and she was like you know I just felt really grateful to be paying what they were paying me I didn't really think in the context of where does my paid fit in uh, in uh, relative to everybody else and and this other lady was like your pay is really low like I'm gonna have to figure out a way to bump you up um, a couple of times over the next year so that you can at least get to the minimum level and, and that was, you know, that was really eye opening for her because she was like, I was just grateful to be working there at this huge company. And I was grateful to be making more than my father made. And I didn't think of how much everybody else is making. Right. And I think that's a lot of the situation that we all are. Nobody really talks about their pay. Like, do you know what your coworker makes? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like taboo it's such a taboo yeah. subject right no I don't know what everybody else makes right like I never knew at my old job uh what people made um so we kind of um assume that the person who is making you an offer who is giving you a job is being fair but it's not always the case so we have to do our own research too and we have to uh find the information only once in my career have I been bold enough to ask for uh to negotiate when I got an offer 
and I was super scared. I was so nervous. <laughs> I almost felt like I was stealing. Um, and I had done, you know, I went on Google. I was like, what's the pay range for this word? I don't know, right? Like, I don't know what they're offering me, if it's fair market value. Um, so I went to do my research on Google and they came back and I said, you know, I really was open for something between this and this. And they ended up giving me more, you know, than the original offer, which my thought was either way, I'm better off than where I was when I didn't ask, right? But I still don't know what everybody else is making, but I'm making more than what they had initially offered me because I spoke up. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the power of, you know, negotiation or, or, or getting your information and data. Wow. There was a story that was trending recently on social media about this hiring manager who was touting the fact that she had paid someone what they asked for, even though it was lower than the minimum, right? Yeah. And you are, and you are bragging about that on social media. Yeah, it, I saw it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, make this be a lesson to whoever is listening. Make sure you educate yourself. You talk to people. One website that I know of called glassdoor.com is one place that you can go to get inside information about what's going on at a company before you enter to make sure you're entering a safe environment. Yeah. Um, people anonymously put information on there. They share their salaries. And, and that's another place you can go to, to check salaries or you can do a right. Google search. But make sure you're doing your due diligence in, and doing your homework when you're applying for jobs and not you know, this immigrant mentality of just being so grateful. Yes, that's a great thing. I remember yeah. my first job, uh, this uh, being a bank teller, the, my boss just kept saying, boy, Simone, you never complain. You just do whatever we ask. But to think that there would be people out there who could be that unethical, right? They would have kept this young lady in that position, paying her lower than the minimum right. and not giving her any promotion and expect her not to even ask for any better. Right. Can you imagine? Right. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. And we don't know. I mean, some, to be fair, some of the, you know, some of it is like understanding that there are multiple people involved when it comes to hiring. You know, um, I used to think you can't bring up, uh, you can't bring up pay. Um, that's what I was told. It's like, oh, don't talk about pay with the hiring manager. Right. T discuss it with HR. Um, and then their job where I told you that I actually negotiated was because I brought up pay with the hiring manager um, because the HR or her recruiter, I believe they were the ones responsible for giving you a fair offer and the hiring manager didn't have any say in it. So, I mean, sometimes that's, that's, um, that's true, depending on the company, depending on the band level of the role, uh, but don't leave things to the company or to a recruiter or to one person, you know, it's your pay, it's your hours, it's your work, make sure you're doing your research and asking for what you're worth. Right, exactly. And it's not, it's not being uh, arrogant, or whatever the words people might think of right now. Mm -hmm. I had a hard time, you know, in my, one of my major jobs before we had to do our own evaluation, and I had such a struggle tooting my own horn speaking yeah. well about myself because we're taught to be so humble yeah right and a lot mm -hmm. of time that works against us I mean like seriously and um we just we just have to really you know look in the mirror and I mean humility is important but not to the point where you would let somebody just walk all over you and take advantage yeah. of you 
Exactly. Right. You have to know your value and be able to, you know, find your voice to be able to speak up for yourself. Right. 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 And and I think if, if you are an immigrant, there's already that mindset that I don't, I don't think hard work is the issue. So we're not saying don't work hard and just ask for money. I think we're taking it for granted that as an immigrant, I will work hard because I know how far I've come. I know how many people are looking up to me. So hard work is the number one thing. That's like a given. But we're talking yes. about now making what you're worth. And I know some people, um, there's a lot of handicap around um, visa status and H1B1. And, and um, I had somebody that also talked about going through a very rough, um, toxic workplace experience mm-hmm. and not being able to say anything because I'm on H1B visa. What if they send me back? You know, what if they revoke my visa? And those kind of things. It's like understanding that some workplaces are just toxic and you are protected, um, find out the information around anonymous reporting and, and rights at work. And this is why we need a network like this. This is what I hope to start with my book is build a community and also refer people to podcasts like this is know your rights. The fact that you're an immigrant and you're on a work visa doesn't mean that you get to be treated in a bad way at work and, and you can't say anything, right? find your community that will share information and tools and resources with you um, and a space where you can talk about these things and, and learn from other people's experiences. Right. And be, and communicate and ask questions. And, right. you know, I mean, I know sometimes it's, there's this thing about not sharing salaries. I mean, I still don't because you don't really know if you end up making more than the person that you're asking, if they're going to, be jealous and now turn around and hate you for it. Because sometimes that the truth is that it can happen. Right. So you have to also be um, cautious with who you're having those conversations with. Right. But I've seen so many stories on social where people were saying, if I didn't ask and share my salary, I would not know that this person was making 10 to 50,000 more than me. And I was in the same position as they were, which right. gave me the capability to now ask for a raise. And now I'm getting paid the same as they are. So um, in any case, this space is here to educate people and to empower you to find your voice and to um, to build community and um, be sure to pre-order Lola's book, Immigrant Women in Corporate. I can't wait for it. I can't I can't wait to hear those stories. And um, we thank you so much for sharing with us here on the podcast today. Thank you, Simona. Thank you for putting together this podcast. I think this is a resource that will also be sharing. I, I think we need more communities that allow immigrants to talk about their experiences, to learn from other people's experiences. We don't all have to go through it. We can learn from people that have been through it. And, and this space is really important for that. So um, I'm glad that I found it. And uh, please follow on at Immigrant Incorporate on Instagram. And I would love to um, connect uh, for anybody that is interested in learning about employee resource groups or um, have any question. Very good. Very good. We thank you for your time and uh, we welcome you back after the book is out and uh, we hope we wish you well. We hope it does well. I can imagine there's quite a demand because just this week I came across one of my neighbor who was just sharing with me her own experience being 
an immigrant from a Caribbean country and how she was struggling with the fact that people were not understanding her when she speaks, uh, you know, in English, you know, just the fact that she has an accent and how it's such a barrier for her to move up in her, in her career. And she was just struggling. And I think your book is very timely and, um, you know, a lot of women need to hear these stories and, and find, find their voice and find information to move forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Simone. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for being with us and we wish you well. You too. Bye. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence. <music>